I think the future here is always moving up the stack. It's not getting more complicated. So to me, it's a given. We're going to end up just writing pure functions and they're going to scale for us. And and I feel the momentum is showing that. There's you know more and more startups that are embracing this kind of way of building. Hi, and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast from LogRocket. I'm Sean, and with me today is Brian LaRue, extremely hardcore founder of Begin, a cloud platform for functional web apps, here to talk about his conference talk, Enhance Your Functional Web Apps with Web Components, from last year's Cascadia JS conference. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you. And before we kind of get into the talk, I'm just curious if you could walk us through your journey as a developer and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, for sure. And also just for everyone's edification, the extremely hardcore thing is a uh, tongue-in-cheek response to Elon Musk's, I don't know, whatever you would even call he's doing. I, would call, I don't want to call it engineering management because it's definitely not that. Okay, yeah. So how did I get into this software? It kind of just happened all around me as I was growing up. I'm a pretty seasoned web developer, let's say. I was... Um, I was born in the 70s, so I got to watch all this stuff kind of rise up around me as I was growing up. And in the late 90s, I had a friend show me the internet, and I was like, well, graphics suck. I don't think this is going anywhere. And then within a few years, I was hacking on a, a thing called Hot Metal Pro, which is like this really early way to build HTML sites. And yeah, I just fell backwards into the whole thing. And I've been building and loving the web for you know, since, since the nineties. So yeah. Yeah. It's come a long way. Um, yes. <laughs> how did you get to, uh, think about, you know, starting begin? How'd you become uh, extremely hardcore founder? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Begin was a, also maybe a bit of a series of mistakes in an earlier portion of my career. I was really excited about mobile development when that kicked off. And, and for me, in my perspective, that wasn't iPhone. That was Blackberries were the first devices that really were bringing the web to mobile. And so we were doing some of that. And I ended up working on a project that got really popular. And it sort of led me down this path where I was working and building on a cloud service. And when I left that role, I knew that the future was most certainly going to be on the cloud, but it probably wasn't going to be load balanced web servers. I got really, really excited about both messaging and things like AWS Lambda. And so I really went deep on those ideas maybe too long, create a project called Architect. Architect's grown quite well over the years. And recently we've decided that most of the larger growth out there is around uh, front-end web development. So we've started retooling Architect with a, with a front-end focus. And that's, that's what we call Enhance. It's effectively a concept that I've been calling functional web apps. The idea is you're building applications out of pure functions. And you probably do this anyways. Like if you build a Rails app, it's it's a lot of functions. Um, the difference is in a Rails app, there's no separation between those functions and the abstraction is this idea of a web server. But your business probably doesn't have an abstraction called a web server. It's going to have domain-specific ideas that are very you know related to that business. And in a functional web app, we would just model those ideas as functions and um, not have to think about things like servers. And it's a really nice way to build, but this is all still pretty heady and early stuff. I'm sure, certain a lot of the stuff I'm going to say is going to sound like total heresy to the listeners. So this should be exciting. Yeah, the cloud functions stuff is definitely something that's like unique compared to some of these other web frameworks that are coming out. I'd love to kind of dig in more. How does it, how does Begin combine these like new web standards, functional components type ideas with 
those cloud functions, like you said, are perhaps maybe give you better abstractions to what your your business logic is actually doing. Yeah, well, like I think a lot of people could relate to the following statement. Uh, React kind of taught us about writing pure functions, and and in particular, you know, you'd see a lot of people talk about how your UI is a function that accepts state and returns an HTML string. And th- that's a really good idea, by the way. I like that idea a lot. And it doesn't just have to be returns an HTML string. It could be your application is a function that it has state and returns a UI. But it also does a whole lot of other stuff. And Begin is really focused on deploying applications to serverless destinations. We have our own, but you can also deploy to AWS directly, which we think a lot of companies want to do, probably already do. So we're not interested in locking you into our cloud. You've probably already locked yourself into AWS anyways. And instead of having to like worry about this huge world of servers and Kubernetes and load balancers, all that other junk, we're saying, well, what what if you just wrote, you know, pure functions and like it talked to the database and that's how that worked. And then you could take the same concept like React originally had and bring that through the whole stack. Now, the, the problem ultimately that we've run into is uh, React is a moving target. And uh, that's a big bummer because, you know, it's a great project and it, it definitely had a positive impact. But I think it's time has come. They've been iterating like crazy for the last few years, introducing ideas of cooks or now more recently server components and, and all that's fine and good. But that means you have to rewrite your app every time they do this. And that's not stable. And the particular thing that irks me about this is the web is stable. We used to have a, a pretty breaky web. Like in the early days, those late 90s, early 2000s, when there were more than one web browser, the sort of pitch of a lot of early front end was you needed to normalize across browsers. This was just what we had to do. They were competing with each other. Firefox and IE were not the same thing. But you might have noticed we don't do that anymore. Uh, web browsers are generally standardized quite well. Code you write for one browser is probably going to run in another browser. And browsers have like a secondary thing that's pretty exciting. And that's, uh, they're called evergreen. And so many listeners might not even be aware of this, but back in the day, whatever browser you got was the browser you had until you decided to upgrade. And if you're you know, a hardcore online person, you might do that. But most people didn't. <laughs> so if they had an old Windows machine, chances are they had an old version of IE, and that was keeping the web back. And so now browsers are ever, they update themselves. But when you update Chrome silently, you know, when you turn your computer on, it doesn't break the web. You know, your websites still work. So that's, that's really worth examining. Can you imagine if your software just automatically upgraded and nothing broke? That sounds like science fiction to an NPM install developer. So uh, how do we get there? We get there through good web standards and we get there through additive change. This is not new. This is, these are fairly old concepts. And um, tools like React just really haven't embraced those ideas. And I, I think they, they're showing their age. And uh, we don't need to rewrite our front ends every year. You can, you can build you know, a HTML site and it's going to render just fine in 10 years. I'm certain of that. It shouldn't need any external tooling or thrash to, to get there. So, yeah. Yeah, you, you started off the talk with this point of like dependency breaking and it's just something that has become a common occurrence in web development. And for some reason, we've kind of either become numb to it or, or just have, have not been fighting back against it. Why do you, why do you think that the, the browsers kind of fix this issue of, of being backwards compatible and we don't 
we don't see like browser updates breaking, you know, HTML parsing or something. But in in web frameworks that we use, we're kind of constantly expected to to update our apps to to support new versions. There's it's a, a multifaceted thing. You know, I don't want to be critical of the audience, um, but let's look at how many web developers there are. In 2012, we think there was 20 million. If GitHub's to be believed today, there's 100 million. In 10 years, that's a 5x growth. Most of those people probably their introduction to programming was most likely front-end web development, and that's great. But another way of looking at that is there's a lot of noobs, and they really haven't embraced a lot of the experience and learning over the years. They're kind of just charging straight ahead and building, you know, moving fast and breaking things. So that's kind of a, a negative way of looking at it, and I'm not super comfortable doing that. I'm not trying to gatekeep or anything, but like there, there's well-established ways to be forwards and backwards compatible, and they're just choosing not to be. And they're probably just learning as they go. And the easiest way to make this fix is to change everything and you know, cascade breaking changes out to your user base. Um, but it's frankly kind of unprofessional and uh, not necessary. So there's two kinds of change. I talk about this in the talk. Um, there's additive change and there's breaking change. And it's a choice. You get to choose if you're going to break something. And breaking change is when you remove an API or an interface or a behavior from the code. So if you have an API and you're like, now the endpoint is you know some other endpoint. That's not breaking. That's additive. Um, if you didn't remove the original endpoint, you just added a new endpoint. Now you can you know be forwards and backwards compatible cleanly. And so yeah, additive change is where we we do the new thing, but we leave the old thing and leave the old path around. And the browsers do this all the time. Uh, probably easiest one to, for folks to understand the front end would be. XML HTTP request or XHR used to be the way we did networking from the client side. Now most people use a thing called fetch. The introduction of fetch did not break XHR. It's still there. So all that code still works. But, you know, fetch is nicer. So we use that. Like this additive change idea, how do you think it fits into like how we write our source code? And I know you talked about this in the talk, but do you think, do you think the answer is getting closer to, to HTML? And I guess what is the philosophy of of begin in, in this way yeah so well begins a hosting service and we deploy your functional web apps uh, either to our cloud or aws's so that it's kind of indifferent to how you go about that but enhance or of enhance excuse me yeah so enhance is an html first web framework and in particular enhance makes one assertion that most people aren't making these days and that's html is pretty good it's pretty good <laughs> if you listen to like react core or quick dev or angular folks or you know, they're all like, HTML sucks. You use this thing instead. And we're saying, actually, no, it's pretty good. You know, like it does it does the job. And, and in fact, I would go so far as to say HTML is a lot better because it doesn't break all the time. And HTML's kind of got like another nice trick up its sleeve in that, you know, it's, it's really fast, actually. So we'll say things like it's slow or it's complicated and introduce all this tooling and all these build steps and all this transpilation for for wait, for HTML, is that really the hardest part of our stack? You know, talking to the database or infrastructure's code or these other things that we have to do to make an app live? Um, so it's a poor choice. And it's it was maybe necessary at one point, but I, I don't really see that today. I, I see very few compelling arguments for it. It's more like use this because HTML sucks or the web platform sucks. And, and that's just frankly false. And so Enhance says, yeah, let's write HTML. Let's stick as close, hue as close to the, you know, the grain of the wood as we can and, and build to the platform that we're building for and enjoy the benefits of that, which include, you know, forwards and backwards compatibility and, and stability. 
when I write code, I don't want to have to revisit it every few weeks. It's really nice to write code and then have my time, you know, the value for my time compound. And and that compounding is really important if you're a business. You want to be focused on customer features. You don't want to be spending your tires, you know, re-implementing stuff over and over again that already worked um, just because something in the aesthetics changed. So Enhance is really a standards-based framework. Uh, it's HTML first on purpose. Uh, we think that's more performant and will last a lot longer. Then, and by the way, this isn't anti-JavaScript in any way. I'm a lover of JavaScript. When we're saying HTML first, we're, we're just saying, you know, start there. I'm not saying stop there. <laughs> you know, you can still add add the JavaScript. Like, you know, make that form better, uh, but make the form work first without it, and make those links work uh, first without it, because you're going to have a way better user experience. And that kind of ties into that that idea of the progressive enhancement, mm-hmm. which you talked about. So maybe we can dig in into that more. So how does progressive enhancement fit in to enhance, like starting with the HTML and then where do you go from there? So progressive enhancement is a weird one because it's like an old school concept too. And and I think it's having a moment right now, which is great because there was a gaslighty few years there where people were saying it was a bad idea or something. And there was no data to back that up. It was always faster, write HTML first. Um, that's how your browser works, by the way. Your browser doesn't load JavaScript first. It loads the script tag, which requests the JavaScript, which then runs. And there is no world where that's going to change. So it's always going to be faster to load that HTML right away. And your backend is probably going to be a more predictable place to emit and generate that. It's going to have more resources and closer to the database. Lots of reasons you want to do this. Progressive enhancement came around after there, there, there was a, another idea called graceful degradation. And I actually don't like this term, but the idea is if something fucks up in the network and your JavaScript doesn't load for some reason, you're still going to have a good experience. It's going to degrade gracefully. So like that's sort of one of the ways of looking at this. But another way of looking at this is build the simplest thing that can work first. So instead of uh, installing Webpack and Babel and a framework and adding link tags and running a build script to just have a link, just throw that anchor tag right in. It's going to be okay and it's going to render just fine. And if the customer complains about that link tag, says, I really want this to like when I click it to be a modal, that's the time to bring in JavaScript, but not the first cut. And so progressive enhancements are more about that. It's more about starting with a working application and then progressively making it better and better and better with the, the tools and stuff that you have available to you. And React was really allergic to this idea because the rendering to string is, is, is not very performant. Uh, there's a transpile step in there and it's, it's just slow. And so they were saying for years, you know, client-side renders the way to go. And then the Remix team kind of was like, actually, you know what? It's, it's not that bad. Once you get that HTML, it's pretty good. And so they started to push this idea. And, and thankfully, the community is now kind of done a 180. And it's coming around these concepts really fast, which is great because it's always been a better way to do things anyways. Yeah, it's been interesting to see it come full circle. We're now like server-side rendering is everywhere. And uh, I, I think that there, there's the, like the server-side components now. But, you know, going back to what you said about the browser, you know, loads the HTML first, then pulls in the necessary JavaScript, and that's not going to change. But it sounds like there's also what, I, what you touched on is a developer velocity side to the progressive enhancement in terms of being able to prototype something, maybe 
MVP could be the right word here. Just like release, get something out in front of customers before like perfecting it. A hundred percent. So like the other day I had to rent like a brush cutter out of Home Depot. And so I went online to their terrible website, like just awful SPA, Spinorama. Finally get through their Byzantine like navigation to get myself a brush cutter and then go there. And they had two waiting for me because the form didn't work properly or reloaded or something. And it's just like, this is classic, right? Like this is, this was not necessary. I assure you there are no Home Depot customers that wanted an SPA or needed one at that moment. They just want to get a brush cutter and like, and one, not two. So, you know, getting that first cut working, like actually working and then make the experience, but maybe then you could make the form, you know, I don't know, have a bunch of spinners or something, but you didn't need to do all that. And you know what? This is common. Have you ever used the Nintendo eStore? Uh, yes. Yeah. Terrible SPA. Like that is the slowest website ever made. Mm-hmm. Whatever technology that is using should not exist. Another one, uh, there's a popular grocery store here in Canada, uh, Save-On Foods. And uh, I broke my leg last year and I needed to get groceries. And their SPA is unusable on phone. So like, you know, this is an accessibility thing. Like I needed groceries. I didn't need an app-like experience on my phone that didn't work. <laughs> so it really does have impacts. And, and we have a responsibility as web developers to build professional websites that get the information to people on whatever device they're using, not just the latest, you know, Mac with the most RAM. So yeah, it's a big, tough conversation because I think some people have been sold a, a bad bill of goods and, and they're feeling a little ripped off and or that somebody is grifting them. And, and I think that is true. And, and sometimes when we develop things, we have our perhaps like beefy work machines and and uh, with, you know, a bunch of CPUs, like a new MacBook. And our, not all, all of our users have those, especially if they're on mobile and we're developing on desktop. But uh, you mentioned the server-side rendering thing. And I yeah, kind of wanted to talk more about the back end because there's these these data slash API routes in, in Enhance too. I'd love to kind of hear more about how, how those work and, and the philosophy there. Enhance is really an extension of the tool that we call Architect, uh, which is a low-level serverless framework. It was built roughly around the same time as uh, the other one that's called serverless framework, which is awkward and annoying. But uh, Architect is very much about uh, single responsibility functions, pure functions. It's asking the idea, what what is my architecture like if I build everything out of pure functions? And so under the hood, Enhance gets to enjoy all that stuff. And your API routes are a nice little bonus. And so under the hood, that's actually API Gateway, which is an AWS service for doing HTTP calls to Lambda functions. And under the hood, of course, it talks to Lambda. And then by default, we hook it up with DynamoDB. Now, Lambda is the first and and still most complete serverless primitive. And the idea is, you've probably seen this with like uh, load balanced web servers. We always say you want your servers to be stateless. And the reason we say that is because if you're load balancing a bunch of web servers, you have 10 web servers behind a load balancer, and one of the the disk drives dies, and you got to replace that server to keep up with your traffic. If it was stateful, if there was like session data or anything on there, life's not going to be great. But if it's stateless, you don't care. You kill that server, you add another one, life's good. So Lambda is the same idea, except for we build by the millisecond. And it's auto-scaling by default up and down. But the problem with Lambda is that it's stateless. And so like a lot of people will cheat and be like, oh, my web server is stateless. But it actually keeps open a stateful socket connection to a database. And database servers 
are really stateful. So scaling web servers is hard. Sharding a database server is very, very hard, very painful. And so Lambda's sort of analog for data is DynamoDB. You can feed DynamoDB unlimited data. You will never affect latency. They promise millisecond or single digit millisecond latency, no matter how much data you have. And it's a stateless protocol. So it could run inside Lambda and there's no hit. You don't have a socket wide open and none of the, the pain with that. So Enhance gets all that for free. You just write API routes, which are just little HTTP handlers. But under the hood, it's this massively scalable serverless system. And the even neater thing that Enhance does, and this one's tricky. People might not get this. So I recommend trying out the step-by-step -step tutorial. If you define an API route, like uh, say I have an API route called count, and it's like slash get slash count. And inside my folders, I would have app API count, and it would export a function called get, and it would return the value. If I added an HTML page called count, we'll automatically pass that state to the web components on that page, and it will populate that page for you. Now, if your client-side JavaScript kicks in, it can make a request to the API route with either an accept header of uh, JSON or a so you, you make a request with a with a fetch, and it will give you the JSON back. So you can do progressive enhancement from the client. It sounds a little weird, but like other API route systems force you to figure out the wiring between these pages, whereas Enhance just does this automatically based on conventions, since we have these routes anyways. Yeah, that reminds me a little bit of Next.js. Like it offers, it does offer like the server-side function that'll run whenever like your route loads, but then like you have to know what API you want to hit. So I mean, it, perhaps it's a convention thing that once people get used to it, it actually ends up running a lot smoother. Yeah, it's similar to that. It's also similar to Remix. In Remix, they call them loaders and actions. And then we call them get and post because, you know, that's how the web works. Um, and and it's funny because everybody's sort of copying each other, but with their own little names and stuff with this stuff. But we're, we're trying to stay as low level as possible and stay as close to the real platform as possible. That's really cool, though, that, if someone can define an API route, but then not have to worry about, you know, independently scaling up a web server versus their database. Did you, when did you see, was there a point when you kind of saw the writing on the wall that, that the cloud was headed this way and it would be really useful if application developers didn't have to worry about those things? I was trepidatious at first. I was really worried about lock-in. I was definitely a big open source developer, but having done the thing uh, where you build out a large cloud system with a load balanced web server architecture and talking to a Postgres or a MySQL, uh, you're locked in there too. Like you're not taking your RDS sharded database and moving it over to Google Cloud anytime soon or fast. And it's the same thing for the, you know, the web server side of it. So at that point I was like, well, Amazon's kind of a shoe in here. You know, it's it's not a I love them, but it's a I can't beat them, so I'm joining them kind of thing. They've got like a 10-year lead on people like Azure and GCP are just way behind. And and this isn't being mean. This is just, you know, where we're at. So one of the very, you know, very basic things that you need when you're deploying is determinism. You don't want to be clicking around in a web console to deploy your stuff because if you have a team of more than one, somebody's going to click something wrong and you're not going to know what's going on. So we have a concept called infrastructure as code. It's very similar to a package JSON. So in a package JSON file, I say, these are my code dependencies and these are the versions I expect. With infrastructure as code, I'm saying, these are the cloud resources I need and this is what I expect. 
and I check it in to my repo, and then the next guy who's running the code, girl, it's going to get the exact same thing. And so infrastructure as code is table stakes for me. I will not build a system that I can't reproduce within a minute and a half from a computer I've never touched before. The other clouds are barely there. The other clouds don't even have a concept of ephemeral compute. They've got these long-lived Kubernetes container type things, which they call serverless, but they're not really. And I just don't have time for that. They'll catch up in 10 years. And when they do, maybe I'll make my workload portable to them. But in the meantime, I'm trying to get shit done. And AWS is a very safe choice. People will say, you know, uh, I want to use the most popular cloud vendor. If you do, well, that's AWS. And yeah, it's going to be jankety tough to figure out what to do. So you're probably going to need a deployment framework. Um, but there's tons of those. And it's very easy to get started, truly. Yeah, I'm curious if... I know there's there's some sort of infrastructure as code. I think Terraform is one infrastructure as code where you can kind of go cross cloud. I'm just curious if you've ever ever considered that, or are the analogs to Lambda and Dynamo DB just not what you what you'd want to be able to, to have any cl- have it go cross cloud? Yeah, so Terraform's cool. Uh, it came a few years after CloudFormation, so it's it's actually like a little bit of a later introduction to this discussion. But it always gets the hype because people are like, "Oh, it's cross cloud." It's cross cloud. But the primitives it exposed are not. So if you're going to build like a Kubernetes cluster uh, on GCP, you can't just copy paste that and have it run on AWS. You got to write brand new Terraform. So there's zero reuse across these clouds other than there's a similar syntax for the HTML files. At which point I would say, why are you introducing a third party? You might as well use CloudFormation on AWS and whatever GCP comes up with in five years. And um that will be probably a little bit closer to the metal. It'll be faster. It'll be better maintained. You won't have a third party in the way. And this isn't to say Terraform's bad or something. It's, it's great. And it's extremely mature and it's hella good and all about inference code. It's better than nothing. Um, but if you're you know already all in on Amazon, I think you probably want to go with the native solution. Just to kind of, I guess, come up out of the weeds for a little bit and think about it from a high level. What do you think about like how was this going to impact how developers make web apps in the future. I thought that we'd be doing a little bit more of this by now. There's been a lot of resistance to the idea of serverless, and I think that's good. Skepticism's healthy, and yeah, we're we're at we're in the fun part right now. Frankly, there's no consolidation. There's a million options. Everybody's shouting at each other. There's a ton of diversity. On one hand, you've got this crowd that's obsessed with load balancing their monoliths with Kubernetes now instead of something else like OpenShift. And on the other hand, you've got these serverless folks and, and we're all like, don't do that. Just write your code and deploy it and let it scale itself. And um, I think the, the the future here is always moving up the stack. It's not getting more complicated. So to me, it's a, it's a given. We're going to end up just writing pure functions and they're going to scale for us. And and I feel the momentum is showing that. There's you know more and more startups that are embracing this kind of uh, way of building. The database is still a huge sticking point. You know, Dynamo solved this almost 10 years ago, and yet people are scared of it because they're worried that Amazon's going to pull an Oracle and start charging them an arm and a leg out of nowhere. And, you know, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, I don't know. Um, but what I do know is I've got a job to get done, and Dynamo's going to do it without bugging me in the meantime. <laughs> so I'm, I'm cool going there, but there's still a ton of resistance. I personally think Cloud Functions, Managed Database, Infrastructure as Code are the pillars uh, for building a modern app. Uh, I think HTML is the easy part, frankly, and that we really over-index on that uh, side of the tooling. I think it'll be vindicated with time, but I don't know when that time's going to come. 
do you think there currently are kind of legitimate limitations to to adopting progressive enhancement and enhance right now? Or do you think most of the resistance is just kind of like you said, like people aren't aren't ready to fully commit into like a Dynamo DB uh, stack? Yeah, I mean, well, there there are there are legitimate reasons, you know, like experience is one of them. Uh, if you have none, you're going to have to build that up. And if you're a shop that's you know trying to get something done, and all you know is you know create React app in a Kubernetes cluster, then you're going to do that. And I think that's totally okay. I think at a certain point, you know, the economies of scale are going to hit, and you're going to want to get with the program a little and start doing things a little more efficiently, but. In the prevailing time, it's perfectly okay to use the tools that you're comfortable with. I, I just wouldn't say that just because you're comfortable with them doesn't make them always 100% right. And, and the same goes for if you're, you know, big on the serverless thing or whatever. Maybe you're, maybe there's political reasons. Maybe you're Walmart. You're not going to adopt Amazon if you're Walmart. <laughs> and, and that's fine, right? Like, don't then. Um, maybe you have really rigid uh, data at rest uh, compliance requirements uh, that preclude you from using particular databases because you have to actually have a key to the data center and be able to walk in there at any moment and serve a warrant or something. And, and those use cases happen more than people know, especially with sensitive data like medical or finance data. So... It's not a. It's not really a clear cut thing. I think everybody wants a context free. This is the right way to do things. Uh, answer, and of course it doesn't exist. But I think for the grand majority of a CRUD app that renders an HTML page that maybe submits a form that talks to a database, you would be very well served to look at a functional web app architecture. Um, but if you've got these extraneous, you know, political, cultural, or friction points, then do what you got to do. And uh, I'm curious if you can kind of offer us a little bit of what might be on the roadmap in, in 2023 for Enhance, and I, I guess just what does the future look like? We're with the developer community and being excited about the idea of streaming, but where we differ is we don't think it's the initial render where it matters. So uh, right now, a lot of people are very excited about uh, edge streaming, let's say. And this is nice uh, if you have a slow database. Um, if it takes a while for the database to get the information then it's pretty cool to be able to like stream bytes. But just like a big loading spinner on your page, this is still not actually a very great experience. And if you have a slow database, HTML is not going to fix that. <laughs> so in our view, if you have a slow database, you should use a fast one like Dynamo. And the place where streaming gets exciting is uh, real time. So like podcasts or chat apps or that kind of thing. And the primitive for that is web sockets. So we've got a prototype that's cooking and we should have available and begin this year uh, for building uh, real-time apps uh, using socket streaming uh, for the rendering. And it's pretty nifty. So we're excited about that. Definitely brand new territory. Serverless web sockets is a barely recognized concept. Amazon actually solved this years ago, like 2018. And the idea is that you get three lambdas. You get one to connect, you get one to disconnect, and you get one uh, for default message passing. And they go away. Um, but you get a little bit of session state with it so you can keep the it feels like the connections are kept alive even though the compute is completely ephemeral and stateless and you can build really cool things with that so any anything real timey um, is kind of on the radar for us the other big theme for us is privacy and, and control so um, twitter this year has been a pretty good example of how centralized systems maybe aren't super great and People are flooding to places like Mastodon and uh, the indie web at large. And we think one good thing you can do uh, for yourself is to 
have a domain. And you should probably have your own domain that you control, that you deploy to, and you can do your own thing with. And so we're looking at expanding out uh, indie web type primitives for begin in particular, um, built on top of enhance. So protocols like WebMention or ActivityPub, which Mastodon's built on, uh, we see that as a pretty exciting future and a, and a real one, like a practical one, not a fake Bitcoin-y one. <laughs> so those are the things I'm thinking about a lot lately, web standards, open source, um, decentralization, real time. Yeah, those those are super exciting. Does the real time stuff? Is there does Dynamo DB have have streaming features that that's building off of? Yes, yes. So when you write a record to Dynamo, you can have a Lambda function sitting there listening to it, and you can you can listen to particular um, events or you can listen to all of them. And so you could imagine when a new user gets entered into that user's table, it's a really good time to send an email, and. When someone joins a chat room, you know, and does that little like thing at the bottom, it's like, well, I'll join the chat room. Again, a perfect use for DynamoDB streams. So Dynamo's got um, another serverless feature that people actually don't really talk about a whole lot. And I love it. It's got an idea of a TTL on the row. So you can have data that scales to zero. And that sounds like a weird thing. Why would I want that? Well, there's lots of reasons. One of them is like sessions. When you're on a website, you know, you're browsing around, the website doesn't know who you are. We have to use a cookie to keep track of you. But a cookie is a really small place and it's kind of an insecure place. So better ways to have like an identifier that use the database to track you. And a whole bunch of stuff opens up if we put this on the back end. And um, yeah, Dynamo for streaming is is good. That is that is super cool. Yeah. I'm I'm so I'm excited to to keep uh, keep looking out in twenty twenty three. You know what else is good for? Logs. Yeah. Um which LogRocket does, I hear. We definitely are, are, are big users of logs right in the name there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been really great to have you on. We're, we're excited about Enhance. Um, and is there anything else before you go? Anything else you want to plug or, or let our listeners know about? Well, join the Enhance Discord uh, and check out Enhance.dev. Um, build an app and find me on Twitter or Mastodon and yell at me if you find anything wrong with it or if I can make something better. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean.